Share the joy with Big Apple Bagels this season when you bring your favorite freshly baked bagels, muffins, and sandwiches to coworkers, friends, and family. There's no better gift than handcrafted, made-from-scratch bagels and muffins. Start sharing the joy today and receive a free coffee as our thanks when you purchase from our holiday to-go menu, Big Apple Bagels, where something big is always baking. Share the joy today at Big Apple Bagels. Visit us at 4471 41st Avenue in Columbus. Part of the currency movement is determined by each of the government policy on interest rate. We talk about the U.S., we have been increasing interest rate kind of aggressively in the past few cycles. But if you look back, U.S. is behind in terms of Brazil. Hi, I'm Heather Bell, a managing editor with ETF.com, and welcome to Exchange Traded Fridays, a weekly podcast where we discuss what's going on in the ETF industry. I'm joined by my longtime colleague, Sameet Roy, ETF.com senior ETF analyst. Hey, Samit. Hey, Heather. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Glad we're heading into the end of the week. <laughs> Definitely. We also have Dina Ting, head of global index portfolio management at Franklin Templeton on the line. Thanks for joining us, Dina. It's a pleasure to be with you, Heather and Samit. Always good to chat with you. Samit, do you want to kick things off? Sure, Heather. Gina, I wanted to start at a high level and ask you, international stocks, they've underperformed their U.S. counterpart for years now. First off, why have they underperformed and what would cause that to change? Yeah, so if you look at the performances between international and domestic, they do kind of follow almost like a decade-long trends, right? So if you look at the past 10 15 years or so, U.S. stock has definitely outperformed international stocks. But if you look back 20 plus years ago, it's the other way around. Part of that is uh, what's driving each of the country that made up uh, the investment. So the U.S. stock has been outperforming because of like a very strong uh, stimulus and incentives that come into play. The fact that many of the technology companies has been based in the U.S., so that has been driving the performance as well. And one thing not to be overlooked is the impact of currency, right? If you look at uh, how U.S. dollar has been uh, performing, the fact that U.S. dollar appreciate definitely detracts from the international performance when the U.S. dollar appreciate versus the foreign currency. That makes sense. Just to follow up on that. To what extent does the outperformance of growth over the past 10 years versus value play into this? Are international stocks heavy on value type of stocks? So it's a lot more uh, complex than just value and growth. The way we look at international investment is uh, from, if I could kind of like allocate into like two main buckets. One is on the fundamental itself, right? What do you get uh, from that particular country or region uh, versus what's the macro factor impacting that? So if you look at the fundamentals, the makeup of the company, what sectors is compiled from, uh, and then you combine that with the the macro factors, which is the government policy on the interest rate, uh, where they are in terms of uh, trading relationship, whether they are exporter or importer, uh, and then the overall policy in terms of investment into the futures. So to kind of distill it into value and growth is probably too uh, simplistic, but uh, in reality, each of these countries are quite different. And if you look at 
the history, right, the past 20 plus years, the return between the top performing country and the bottom performing country could be about 50% differences in terms of the returns. So that's the reason why if you are allocating into the one that outperform, you can definitely get a different risk and return profile in your portfolio. And that's why we think that single country allocation and being able to allocate based on conviction really plays a factor in the overall portfolio. Gotcha. Dina, I was wondering, I was at a panel yesterday at the Schwab conference and it featured Ian Bremmer and Rana Furohar from the Financial Times. And they were talking a lot about deglobalization. Is that deep globalization trend going to help or hinder the performance of international stocks, do you think? So the question about globalization always comes up when we talk about international investment. If you look at uh, like commodity, for example, those has like global prices. But if you kind of like look back uh, three years ago, uh, two and a half years ago when COVID started to happen, right? Well, I think what people realize at the end of the day, what the globalization trends takes place, being able to kind of access supply and being able to have a little bit more control where the location is to manage that really does play a factor as well. So globalization does happen. And for like commodity products, it does takes place. But in terms of the impact of the regional location and how it will impact trading partners and supply chain relationship, I think that view is slightly changed with the, the COVID, right? Because now you know that closer distances, how you simplify that really does play a factor on how you kind of fit everything into your overall. So if anything, there was a drive for globalization, but I think there's a rethinking in terms of how you would want to kind of come into play. Absolutely. I was wondering, though, uh, in light of all of that, what are the countries that you think investors should be kind of looking at right now? Yeah, so on the single country level, the best way to take a look at different things is the fundamentals itself. You want to look at the benefit of diversification, right? Because if the return are so disparate across when you combine them, you get with less correlation, you get better diversification. And so if you look based on back to the fundamentals, as well as the macro factors, there are three countries that I'd like to highlight. One is Brazil. Brazil, as you know, has gone through the election that was very close, but finally Lula kind of came into power and it looks like it could be a peaceful transition rather than what people were worried about. And on the fundamental perspective, Brazil is a commodity exporter. So they are a beneficiary of the elevated price on commodity so far. On top of that, they have a very favorable demographics with a young workforce, as well as a more balance uh, between Congress and, uh, and the president, right? So which we think that the there's that fiscal discipline that will come into play, which is very important in any country to spend what you can, uh, but you can support in terms of revenue, right? Like crazy spending is not tolerated these days, but fiscal responsibility is something that people can go get behind. So all that factors that kind of come into play makes uh, Brazil attractive. On top of the attractive 
valuation level, right? So it's still trading at a really significant discount uh, compared to the historical averages, as well as compared to the rest of the world. Dina, so a lot of times when people think about South America, they think about um, these left-leaning type of governments and in general, kind of knee-jerk reaction to consider that bad for stocks, bad for markets. Are you saying this time around, because there's checks and balances with Brazil, it's not going to necessarily be bad for the markets? Yeah, so that's uh, my view, because it's a very close election, right? So the, there's that check and balance that come into place. Plus, Lula actually in the past has been uh, a leader for seven plus years, right? So there is it's a known quantity and uh, will not make kind of like a rash decision. I think the market generally doesn't like uncertainties, right? But if they know kind of what to expect and what to get out of it, they can get the, they don't price in like the extra volatility. So I think that combination of those knowing that the leader is a known entity and having that check and balances between the executive branch and the uh, legislative branch uh, is helpful in that regards. That makes a lot of sense. I kind of want to jump to another country now, Dina, and that's Japan. The Bank of Japan, it's struggling to keep interest rates in the country down, and the yen has just been falling through the floor. Do you see the BOJ making a policy pivot, and what's your outlook on Japan in general? Yeah, so Japan is very interesting to see that the, this is where foreign currency play a factor, because if you look at the hedge Japan, the return is actually positive year to date. But because of the currency movement in the US dollar term is a negative return, right? So Japan has been uh, dropping, I think, almost 30% in terms of the currency. Um, so it's a play where the fundamentals and the impact on the currency and play a factor in international investing. On the fundamental side, uh, Japan has been trading as an attractive valuation for some time. Their location in Asia and uh, the potential to be uh, trading partners to many of the countries in the region makes Japan an attractive one because coming out from the pandemic, they are typically like very strong on the exporting on the industrial side. They have uh, like auto manufacturings and uh, others uh, goods that they typically export. So the fact that they are a big uh, trading partner to China as well as uh, a partner to the US uh, in the region will make Japan an area where it finally, they are trying to solve the demographic issues, right? We, the new prime minister has a financial background, uh, which is kind of different than prior leaders in, in Japan. And they are able to finally solve the uh, demographic issue with um, including more women in the workplace. Now, all these, of course, will probably take times in terms of policy to kind of make it happen. But the fact that they are very focused, it seems like in terms of like creating the policy that will spur growth going forward is attractive. So assuming someone wants to invest in Japan, you mentioned that stark difference between the unhedged and the hedged uh, investment in Japan's market. Where do you fall in terms of 
what investors should do? Should they hedge their currency exposure or not? Yes, yeah, so that comes into play in terms of where you expect the currency to move, right? So given where Japan has been uh, and where it, the level of uh, FX right now is the lowest we have seen in decades, now there is still potential to depreciate, but it's less so. So uh, if you are looking at it from a perspective of the purchasing power parity, you would expect a reversion to the mean at some point. And which means that in that regards, if you wanted to invest in Japan hedge, you probably should have done it like a year ago. Uh, so you will get less benefit now given where the currency has been. Part of the currency movement is determined by each of the government policy on interest rate. We talk about the U.S., we have been increasing interest rate kind of aggressively in the past few cycles. But if you look back, U.S. is behind in terms of Brazil. Brazil actually started increasing interest rate in early 2021. And that's the reason why you have seen like the peak inflation already took place in Brazil. And then they have stopped in terms of that tightening the money supply while the rest of the world are still trying to control that. With Japan, who has had a very low, low interest rate, uh, actually it was negative um, for many, many years. The fact that they will starting to have an inflation problem is probably a good thing that they, they probably needed, right? Because for a while, the, the issue was the, the, the deflation uh, in Japan. Inflation has been very low in Japan. Is that something that investors should view as attractive when looking at the country to invest in it? So the best economy usually works when uh, inflation is not too high, but there is no stagflation either, right? So it's like that uh, you're growing, but not too hot. Uh, prices are going, but not too fast. So it's like there's that sweet spot that each of the economy needs to do without being overheated. So Japan, the fact that inflation finally comes into play, but not as high as like many other markets, uh, it's probably quite attractive. On top of that, Japan, I think, finally opens up to international uh, visitor and part of the GDP is also on the tourism as well, right? So this will definitely kind of create and uh, propel some activity and uh, economic activity in Japan itself. Dina, the big story in international markets recently, at least, has been how Chinese stocks just absolutely cratered after President Xi Jinping was reelected for another five year term as the head of the Communist Party. Were investors wrong to push Chinese stocks down so dramatically? And do you have any opinion with regard to the recent movements we've seen in uh, markets due to speculation that zero COVID might end sometime soon. Yeah, so China is an interesting market because it is a huge market that investor cannot ignore, right? It is a big part of the emerging market. Uh, it's a big part of uh, overall the world. And if you think about it, uh, regardless of the policy that comes into play, it's still a big uh, exporter of many manufactured goods, but at the same time, uh, there's 1.6 billion of people in China and they're a huge consumer. So I would expect Chinese economy will shift a little bit more from just pure manufacturing and exporting country into more of a consumer driven 
market, right? So if you look at the online retail sales, you know, they have the singles day, which I think is equivalent to, let's say, the Amazon Prime days. It has been growing the past 10 years uh, at a significant rate. So it's a market that you can't be ignored. And they're, despite all these uh, challenges that they have with the zero COVID policy, at some point, they will figure out a way to balance between having the economy going and having control over that. And if you look at it, I think year to date is down like over 40%. And even last year, it was down 20%. At some point, people will see value around that because at some point, they will figure out that they are still need to find a way that works between having the economy and having a control. And their consumer, I think, finally, with all these pent up demand, right, will will need to be satisfied at some point. What factors should investors be looking at right now when they're looking at the market, you know, from a global perspective, from a U.S. perspective? What's attractive and makes sense? Yeah, I think this goes back to where would you allocate your money to get like the biggest opportunity, right? Uh, At the beginning, I think Samit mentioned about the underperformances of international market versus domestic. And generally, U.S. investor has a domestic bias as well. So I think now is the time to relook at international markets for a few reasons, right? One is the relative valuation. Second is the factors that are driving each of the different markets. And then uh, the benefit of diversification and the effects. So if you look at where each of the market is, with the energy crisis that we have uh, currently, the exporting countries tend to benefit from that. So these are like countries such as Brazil, uh, who are kind of exporter on the energy, uh, as well as other soft commodities as well. So for international investment, if the local currency appreciated, you will get an extra return on top of the equity return and the local price as well but also the appreciation versus the US dollar. So if you look at where some of the currency has been trading relative to US dollar, there is a potential reversion that come into play, basically create a reason of why allocating money into international market will help the return kind of going forward. On top of that, one thing that most people somewhat overlook, but because the impact is not immediate, is on the... uh, on the government policy itself, right? So some some country has uh, incentive for, let's say, patent or anything that kind of drive innovation, as well as the uh, the policy on the stimulus and how they are managing their fiscal responsibility. So all that kind of plays a factor in looking into how you want to allocate your global portfolio to take the benefit of some countries that are doing better or expected to do better given all the different factors that we looked at. I've been reading a lot about low volatility being where people are kind of focused right now. Do you think that's a good approach to markets in the current environment with inflation kind of largely a global thing, except for certain areas? You know, just a lot of talk about recession across multiple countries. Yes, certainly low volatility has been a strategy that works well this year. 
because of uh, the challenges that you see. Low volatility strategy typically allocate uh, less beta versus the market. So which means the downside capture is a lot less, right? So let's say if the broad market is down a certain percentage, a typical low volatility strategy will take uh, a subset of that, whether that's 60% or 80% of that. So you are a little bit more protected. Now on the flip side of that, in the up market, they tend to not participate fully as well because of that. So in any investor portfolio, I think it's good to have a balance, right? Knowing what your target in terms of risk and return and how you want to budget across that. Dina, it's been really great chatting with you and very informative. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be spending the time with you. Listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. Please join us next week for another episode of Exchange Traded Fridays. If you want to listen to older episodes, the podcast is available on ETF.com and on all major podcast platforms. Have a great weekend. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 